0: sitting down with founder of Festival Pass, Ed Vincent. How are you today, Ed? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad myself, considering everything that's going on. I think uh, Festival Pass is a cool idea, and from what I can gather, the goal is to get more people out there and enjoying a variety of events, not just musical events. Of course, with the recent coronavirus scare, events are basically on hold. How are tech companies responding in these strange and uncertain times?
1: Yeah, well, first it's always it was interesting to to launch a, a new company in a space when all, all the whole reason you launched it is for live events and none exist anymore, for the moment. Um, <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> so it, uh, it, it is an interesting uh, kind of path. But um, yeah, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, for many years, and you know, the first thing is uh, many great businesses were kind of built on the. Uh, on the upswing after a recession, depression, or or any other concept. So, uh, you know, we're- So
0: true.
1: Yeah, we're in it for the long run. So, um, you know, specifically tech companies overall, there's a a general benefit that we have is because, you know, as we're we're coming to market, um, you know, we didn't already put a massive amount of overhead related to uh, defined revenue. So, uh, for us, we're a subscription-based business. So the the great part about our model really is when people sign up um, for uh, Festival Pass, they, they get credits that they can spend on live events. Um, so those credits, are, it's like a savings account. It stays in your bank. So if you're not using them to actually go to an event, um, you're, you're saving them and you're accruing them and, until you do use them. Um, so we fared a little better than... Some of the other uh, live event companies themselves that that lost you know months and months, if not almost a year's worth of revenue just from this crisis. Uh, and then when you ask specifically about tech companies, um, you know that's a broad kind of statement of what that means, but um, obviously, companies that are in industries greatly impacted by the COVID environment, such as travel and entertainment etc. Um are having significant issues. I mean, you've probably seen, you know, things like Airbnb, um, you know, having
0: just oh, yeah.
1: half of their revenue go away overnight, uh, as well as, you know, numerous other similar companies Uber, Lyft.
0: Yeah. And so I guess basically for the reasons that you've already mentioned, it's unfortunate timing because of COVID. It's fortunate timing because a lot of the best businesses start in times of, of difficulty. So I'd imagine part of your efforts are right now would just be preparing for the return of live events, right?
1: Very, very much so. And uh, what it's allowed us to do is um, build a pretty significant infrastructure to scale. Um, you know, being a repeat entrepreneur, um, you know, and, and participating in different companies where sometimes you're, uh, how do you say, um, uh, refueling the plane in midair, um, you know, it's given us a little bit of time to ensure we have the right infrastructure for scale. And what I mean by that, it has a lot to do with uh, <clears throat> data and tracking infrastructure. It has a lot to do with, um, you know, building up different feature sets within our environment that will are not custom to specific uh, reactionary outcomes, but more long-term strategic thinking so that it can scale across thousands of events.
0: Yeah. And this seems like kind of like the perfect time to just focus in on all those things. I mean, it's similar to what I've been doing in my business, just in terms of, uh, I mean, I launched a pre-order for my new Kindle recently, and that's my fifth book, but I'm also preparing and looking ahead and to the to the recovery of the economy and, and artists being able to get out there again. And it gives me lots of time to work on my next books, my next companion courses, and, and think ahead to what they might want coming yeah, out of this.
1: You know, everybody knows that even though this is a very you know disheartening, uh, very difficult time for all of us to go through. <clears throat> yeah, um, it's uh, live events will come back. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. that the industry isn't going away. it's a Two hundred billion dollar industry globally. Um, that you know we might have some disruption for six months, nine months, and even twelve months for some big festivals or big arenas or big sporting events but it will come back, uh, just like it it always does. So it's, uh, you know, part of investing in a time where we're ready for it to come back. We're going to be on the front lines, um, benefiting as it does.
0: Of course, you know, and there's always, there may be a little bit of a stigma coming out of this, but eventually people will just want that entertainment, I'm sure. And want to get out there again. And some people are already going, just let us go back to work. But, uh, That that for whatever reason, for various reasons, maybe maybe unwise. I'm kind of trapped in Calgary, Alberta myself. I just came here with the intention of visiting friends and doing my taxes, uh, because I'm I'm effectively a digital nomad. So what you said about Airbnb kind of like, you know, I, I bristle at that, but it is what it is. And for the time being, I'm staying with friends in Calgary, and I've kept myself isolated, and I maybe go out shopping once a week. And that's just the way things are at the moment.
1: Yes, yes, and I'm in New York City, so uh, I'm, I'm seeing that on a daily basis. But what is nice and you know, and again, this talk about the outcomes of uh, major uh, you know, in, uh, instances or events, is I personally see people being nice to, to each other. Um, you know, I get out for walks every day out of my apartment of New, in New York, down by the water, down by the parks. And, you know, people are respective and still staying socially distant, but um, they're they're friendly. They're Everybody's kind of in it together. And, uh, and yeah. I, I wonder if on the flip side of this, hopefully people have understood what's important to them and will be kinder to each other going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that. I think it's an awesome time to reflect and it's not something we always do or even want to do, but being forced into it kind of allows you to, to look things over and consider what direction you might want to take moving forward. So although there's no way of any of us know exactly when the travel bans will be lifted and non-essential businesses will be allowed to operate and public gatherings allowed, what's your best guess for when things will go back to normal?
1: Yeah, so while I, I don't have a crystal ball and I can't predict, um, of course. you can imagine I'm on the phone daily with Many people in the industry trying to figure out what's the next best path. Um, so, you know, while a lot of let me let me pause for a second is the perspective uh, changes a little bit based upon who you talk to, and that perspective mm. also related to um, the type of organization that's putting something on. And what's fascinating about live events and music events and all all of the above is while you have some of the big players that we all know of the, the live nations of the world ticketmaster aegs of the world that run you know very large um festivals and concerts there is a big part of this industry that are i wouldn't call them mom and pops per se but they may run five five events or five festivals or 50 festivals or even some community events that uh, are only running one annual event per year and it's their bread and butter like as an example, mm-hmm. you probably know Summerfest in Milwaukee, the biggest uh, you know music concert in the world, uh, mm. music festival where a million people come every year. Um, that's run by a nonprofit organization uh, that was set up by the town, um, and, you know they spend all year round uh, building for this festival, and they have staff just for this one festival. Um, so it's interesting to look at the type of organization running music-based events uh, to really understand. What their perception is on when it comes back, and so that's a long way of saying uh, <laughs> the answer I'm going to give you is, is, is deferred. <clears throat> so I just got off the phone, you know, about an hour ago, to a group that usually runs about 50 or 60 festivals, a media company, and you know, they're they're holding tight to you know this fall, so they they want to start bringing things back in August and September and October, um, you know, from events that they had to move from April, May, and June. Um, Some others, as you know, from the bigger festivals out there, um, some just canceled their entire 2020 slate. Like Burning is not happening. There's a bunch of others that aren't going to happen. And I think everybody is also hoping positively that some of the events moved from April to November will happen like Coachella or Ultra or a few others.
0: Absolutely, and we appreciate that response. Uh, overall, it seems like there are some rosy predictions for the future of live events, of course, when they come back. But it, where do you see things going, and what changes are coming?
1: Yeah, so it's a good point, right? So I I think of when when things happen in any kind of industry um, due to some you know unknown circumstances, there's always behavioral change, um, and there's a difference in how one reacts to that behavioral change for the short term, more of a reactionary business pivot versus kind of a longer sustained uh, change in people's behaviors. So when I, when I think about that in any capacity related to entertainment, that could be in terms of TV movies or anything else versus music and live events, um, each one has kind of a way to look at what is happening short term. What will people go back to the way it was beforehand or will it be a, a a long standing future change? So when you think of uh, Mm -hmm. filmed entertainment or movies or, um, you know, movie theaters are not going away. Um, but there may be some shift where studios for a long time held to the fact that there was always a window for theatrical release that would happen long before it ever makes it to any kind of digital streaming or anything else. Um, because of the fact that they were forced to push some titles out there early uh, and still charge that $20 on Amazon Prime or, or some other platform, um, you know, that may be a, a long lasting change. They may have hmm. decided that we never wanted to mess with our theatrical revenue but maybe now we've tested it and people are willing to pay $20 while sitting at home for a first run movie. Um, so I think that will create some change. The other is on the, uh, music side, um, the virtual festivals, virtual entertainment. Um, we've probably seen a lot, or We, I know we've seen a lot in the last month of artists live streaming on Facebook or live streaming on, Instagram or Twitch, uh, and then a you kind of televised from from your living room concerts, so there, it's an interesting perspective to take a look and say, well, hey, that's that's a lot of fun right now because we're all at home, and that's that's a reactionary approach to, hey, there's really nothing else we can do, um, so let's at least entertain yeah. people at home, um, and that's great for engagement. It's great for maintaining a fan base, but for the vast majority of artists, for you know, 80% of artists, there's no revenue to that. Um, they're basically, yeah. you know, just trying to help and engage their fans because there's really no infrastructure in place to make that a sustainable, ongoing revenue producing event. So therefore, <clears throat> what we're doing at Festival Pass is we didn't, we're not changing how we see uh, live streaming within our platform. We've just kind of moved it up on the docket from something that was on the product roadmap for the future has now become a little more of a priority. But our position is not to replace live streaming on Facebook, Instagram, or on uh, Twitch or anywhere else. It's actually to add a complementary business model for future live events so that the one time a year you might go to, let's say, the Taste the Country Music Festival in Buffalo, New York, which usually gets 50,000 people, They can now have an infrastructure on Festival Pass to maybe do three or four or five mini virtual events leading up to their main event. So it wouldn't replace the live event, but it would just be complementary to it. And give them other sources of revenue throughout the year and other ways to engage their audience and their sponsors
0: yeah i love your point it sounds like it's basically a mix of cautious optimism and experimenting with new models which i think many of us are having to to think about artists are certainly having to look at that and of course live streaming has become increasingly a popular way of connecting and and just video content in general but yeah, it's all a matter of, of adapting and seeing the opportunity where it is, for sure. Practically every independent musician would love to see more people at their shows. And as someone who has started communities and launched events, I've, I've seen just how tough it can be to get butts in seats. So when we do get events back, what are some things musicians and event organizers could do to drive more interest in their gigs and events?
1: Oh. Of course, the first thing is to list them on festivalpass.com. Um, but yeah, so, so I totally empathize and appreciate that that kind of world. And you know, one of the one of the reasons we exist is to provide a more seamless approach for audiences to engage. And you know, our tagline is "Live Life Live." Um, so anything and everything we do is about getting people to be more active in their communities, and you know, and, and nationally and internationally to really just get out and really savor and experience what live entertainment is. So along those lines, um, you know, the more and more people are even in more independent or smaller venues, having events, um, tapping into, uh, you know, networks like ours enables them to find an audience, enables them to list, you know, something to an audience that may or may not um, previously have discovered it. So I come from a pretty significant data background in consumer entertainment about five hmm. years prior to festival pass i uh um i had a, a company that still exists today that i'm an advisor to that um you know spent a lot of time helping the consumer data strategies for big television networks like any networks and amc networks and um spent some time as a, a interim chief data officer for a company called movie pass which uh you know some people know in the us as like a meteoric rise and fall of a, of a subscription company but along those lines what, what is very compelling and interesting is I learned that um, what's important and Netflix at least does it some people say does it well, some people say doesn't, but creates discovery right so when you're mm-hmm. when you're in an environment where there's thousands of options to choose from um, and to get to know the consumer better, like in the Netflix world, you know the more and more movies you watch the it defines what, what's presented when you log in. You know, there's no way to, to log in to Netflix and see all 10,000 titles right in front of you on the screen. It has to be some discovery mechanism and recommendations of what you may like. Um, in music, you see that with Spotify and, and many others. But uh, yeah. for us, it's it's we're taking the same approach in live events. right? So mm. the more and more in the thousands of events that are on our platform, when a consumer is a subscriber or a member of ours, <clears throat> everything they do in our environment, every every kind of a festival page they go look at and watch a video or click on interested in, or um, every time they actually attend an event, you know, we're collecting that data um, mostly just to be able to surface other opportunities that are interesting to them.
0: The, the algorithmic discovery has definitely come a long way, and I've I've certainly discovered some music that I like that way on Spotify and so forth. The interesting part is that we increasingly live in a world where, you know, iPad users use PC computers and country music listeners love classical and so forth. And there's just no stigma attached to it. Like maybe there used to be in, in generations past, you're kind of allowed to like what you like, but uh, if people can get recommendations for kind of all their interests, then not only are they going to be happy and satisfied, they're, they're definitely going to get out more and, and engage with this content more. So as we kind of explored before we started recording, with the New Music Industry Podcast, one of the key themes is what's new, what's going on how things are changing, which I think we've, we've been able to cover here a little bit. Another important theme though, is that the listeners are made up of people who are forward thinking and entrepreneurial minded, including myself. And we're all looking for ways to marry music with business to produce expanded results. So, and from what I know about you, you're a serial entrepreneur with experience in a variety of fields. So I'd love to ask a few questions about that. Of course. What is the greatest failure you've overcome as an entrepreneur?
1: um i guess a couple things i mean uh this is a perfect example of what we're living in right now in terms of world events outside of your control um hmm. so you know because i'm old enough to have remembered <laughs> i lived through uh a couple big events that had significant impacts against my entrepreneurial endeavor so you know i lived through the dot-com <laughs> bubble bust yeah. um where I, I had a uh uh, e-commerce company that I, I sold. I thought I was rich. I was you know 25 years old and sold it to a company you know right around the time of the bust, um, you know, and and it was worth millions on paper uh, because I got stock in the company that acquired us. But but soon thereafter, uh, 9/11 happened and and basically uh, um, you know turned that multi-million dollar paper value into basically nothing. So that that's one of those. You rise and fall of emotions right so you learn a little bit along the way that sometimes if you sell a company take some cash instead of stock um <laughs> uh, that's one you know and then i also <clears throat> experienced another similar um impact during the 2008 recession um
0: mm.
1: back around I, I ran a an agency of about 70 people it was an experiential marketing agency and it, that's where i kind of got my love of events we um we helped launch a bunch of film festivals and we activated a lot of brands at, at you know, events everywhere. Um, and uh, it was a really fun, really great time. Um, but then, you know, when 2007, 2008 came to be, you know, a lot of big brands that were really funding our business um, started pulling back because of the great recession. So that was tough. It was tough to, you know, have to lay off people and go through that process that, you know, no, businesses are going through right now
0: yeah those were tumultuous times to be sure and i guess if there's anything we can sort of decipher from history is that something else will always come along i don't think it's any reason to live in fear as many do but at the same time it's important to be able to adapt as needed as, as things come along. You know, the only thing I can compare and most people say, you know, I've never experienced anything like this in history, which as far as I know, there hasn't been this mass scale of lockdown, but the only thing I can compare it to is is living through the great Hunshin earthquake in Japan in ninety five. Yeah. And we lived up in the mountains and uh, the water wasn't working for probably a good two weeks, three weeks. We went to the springs and and Managed to bring some water back to our homes and boil it and, and use it. It was uh, very, very different and strange times. And, and mostly we stayed inside too. So And then what is the greatest victory you've experienced as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I don't know how to um, totally crystallize that except for as an entrepreneur, you know, some of the greatest victory is just that when you have an idea, uh, actually seeing it come to fruition. Um, you know and I think that's what makes entrepreneurs that are repeat entrepreneurs just keep doing it Um, Mm. you know of course there's there's financial um, incentive to do stuff but most of it comes from having an idea thinking you can make a change and thinking you can create something that hasn't been created before and then spending the year to ideate and get it to get it to product and then uh, and then getting it launched and and uh, seeing, seeing your little baby grow so Um, You know, so I I don't know if that's a good answer in terms of a specific victory. Um, You know, I've seen it in multiple companies that I've built where, you know, when you start seeing something you built elsewhere. So even, uh, you know, even with Festival Pass, you know, I get excited when, you know, we we had a large um, media company invest in us and provide us with, you know, a bunch of media. And even right now, we've been holding back on some of that media spend because of COVID. Yeah. But of course we've already messaged out all the creative and what it looks like and how the world's gonna continue to see how we represent ourselves. And you know, that excites me when I when I know that, you know, millions of consumers are going to be, you know, touching and feeling something that was just really an idea a year ago.
0: Yeah. Maybe you would agree, but I think in large part the joy is in the process and you know the whole thing about arriving or arrival fallacy you know trying to get somewhere in your business is almost just when you think of it as like a means to an end it's not that much fun but when you are engaged in something that actively makes you excited it's like the joy in the process
1: yeah i agree it's like watching a kid grow
0: yeah yeah totally and are there any books that have helped you on your journey
1: oh many many um
0: Mm.
1: One from a just a pure tactical standpoint and running a business is uh, is uh, OKRs. Um, so it's a, it's a book from John Doerr, who's a venture capitalist. It's uh, objectives and key results. So if anybody's ever trying to kind of lay out what are quarterly and annual goals and how do you get the company kind of surrounded around one one path and one vision, um, that's a great book. Mm. Uh, when it comes down to you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I've been lucky enough. I'm part of a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization. <clears throat> and, yeah. uh, and, you know, globally, there's about 14,000 of us, and it's a pretty tight organization. And through it, I've been lucky enough to attend a lot of different educational programs, including a three-year program at MIT. And through it, we allow, you know, we get so many uh, authors uh, come in and kind of teach teach us for four or six hours. Um, and there's just been some tremendous insights, um, from that. And I, I just share that in the sense that there's, you know, a ton of books that are written from the outside that we've been lucky enough as a group to kind of hear the person speak face to face, whether that's Simon Sinek, finding your why, whether that's Mm -hmm. Gladwell, you know, with all of his tipping point books or, um, you know, numerous other marketing books that are been fantastic.
0: Yeah. And just so our listeners know, I am, um, there are certain qualifications to getting into organizations like that, right?
1: There are, there are specifically, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that don't necessarily have a barrier to that. Um, EO itself, um, there, there's a couple of things you just have to have a specific revenue in your company. So for EO, yeah. You have to have a, a company that has, um, at least $1 million worth of revenue. Uh um, yeah. And then, you know, there's a few other things that it's more of a peer group. So it's, uh, you have to be able to, you know, it's not a networking organization. It's a, it's about a peer learning thing.
0: Hmm. And fortunately, you know, there's still options for people who, who don't qualify. Things like mastermind groups or even online coaching is available to to many of us so still different ways to get connected on that on that journey to earning those revenue figures
1: i agree i agree and what's nice about it it's the structure of it that's helpful it's really about you know peer support peer Um, you know anybody that's makes a, a journey in life a choice to continuously learn um and you know seeks out other individuals that are on the same journey. There's plenty of places to find that support.
0: Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and generosity. Ed, is there anything else I should have asked?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, I know this is a music driven podcast, so it's, it's uh, you know, we're excited to be um, helping change the way people experience, um, you know, all sorts of live events, including music and film and food and wine. Um, and part of it is really just to you know embrace new new changes and new new ideas and new cultures um, yeah. and for us it's you know we we just want to have the most seamless ability for individuals to consume and participate in live events you know without ticketing fees without um, you know a, a transactional environment that doesn't allow them to engage socially with the the people they are going to the event to build the community with.
0: Mm. Well, we certainly look forward to seeing the idea expand, and hopefully, live events go back to what they were. I'm sure they will, uh, and also the multitude of different ways that people might be able to engage with him, coming out of the the scare that we're in. So, thank you so much.
1: Of course, of course.
0: Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.